Ephesians chapter 6, we're looking at verses 10 through 14 this morning on part one on spiritual warfare. Now we learn from the Bible that we all have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the world systems, its thinking patterns, its worldviews, its mores, its values, its twisted philosophies that are against us as believers. Today, we know this well, because that's virtually all we hear, (laughs) with very little, tiny opportunities to hear the truth. The Bible said this in 1 Timothy 4, in the last days, these doctrines of demons are gonna be so powerful. Satan's on a leash. But he can let, and as we head towards the last days, the leash is going to get a little more, little more chain gets out, a little more chain. The devil's able to work. The demons are able to cross boundaries they have not been able to cross in thousands of years. And then eventually the rapture of the church comes and the chain gets less go. And Satan's going to be able to rule and reign. But as we are heading towards that rapture, it says in 2 Timothy 3, The last days are perilous times. Know this, Paul says. Know this. And the last days are perilous times. For non-believers, no. For believers. Because there's going to be many that have a form of godliness, but they're not godly. They just look that way. And there's going to be a huge percentage of the believers that love pleasure more than God. There is going to be an apostasia. Judgment must first come to the house of God. And those people that have been just going to church casually because it's the thing, the social thing to do, will find that they have not the spiritual ability to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church, to seek God. And in their way of thinking, they have not seen really the power of God in their life. They've only had a form of godliness. So I go to church or I don't go to church. I feel the same. Life works the same. There wasn't some powerful thing happening to me when I went to church. And there's nothing negative happening when I don't. And the Bible says to all who have ears to hear, don't forsake the gathering together of the brethren as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Why? Because these doctrines of Dean, these last days are going to be a time where if you're not rooted and grounded, Jesus said every time he talked about the rapture and before his coming, you as believers watch and pray. Two of the things he says you're going to get caught up with are amoral, the cares of this life, the desire for other things, Not sinful things necessarily. It's just we get so busy we can't fit God into our schedule. We get so busy and so preoccupied with life that that we really can't seek God first in his kingdom and his righteousness. And eventually, not planting seeds, the harvest season comes and there is no harvest. And so spiritually, we become bankrupt. And then the other thing was the deceitfulness of riches. That's always been evident. But watch and pray. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? 
What was he looking for? The believers who are crying out to him day and night. My entire lifetime, the church prayer meeting has been the least attended meeting in any church that I've been a part of. And some of the churches are thousands of people, but yet not even a handful for the prayer meetings. It's just a sign of of the spiritual maturity and the spiritual strength. I know Spurgeon, who had the great prince of preachers, they had a basement, and it would seat about a 1,000 people. And it was amazing because people from all over the world would come and visit the church. And more than once, people described meeting who they thought was the janitor in overalls. And uh, later they learned it was Spurgeon himself. But he was down there in that basement, and it was always packed night and day. It was a church that seated about 10,000, but more impressively, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that basement was filled with people praying, crying out to God. That's the church. That is what the Lord's looking for. So when we come to to realize that the world and its systems are what Satan's going to be taken over and it's going to continually be strengthened as we head in that way. So the world, secondly, our flesh. We know about that, don't we? And then the devil. I think it's important to get Jesus' description because he was fighting the devil head on when he was in human flesh. And we know how Satan took personal interest in Jesus, right? But in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. He talks to the Pharisees trying to put people into a religious bondage. The desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Wow. It's amazing to me that one third of the angels we find out in Revelation sided with Lucifer against God while they're in heaven. Man, that is one persuasive dude who is able to convince angels that he, Lucifer, should be equal to God and then war against God and the true angels. Peter, boy, he knew personally Satan's difficulties, didn't he? Do you guys remember there where Jesus said, Peter, I prayed for you this night, the night he would be betrayed and the next day crucified. He said, I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail because Satan has asked to sift you like wheat and he would be successful. (laughs) But I prayed for you. Well, Peter later on says, man, I've had a lot of other run-ins with the devil. And in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9, be sober, vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by their brotherhood in the world. Satan is on the prowl, always looking to devour, chew up, eat the bones. 
James 4 says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. We can be successful. Resisting is an important part. Steadfast in the faith. And of course, John 10.10 tells us about his viciousness. Jesus says, the thief does not come except to steal. Does he stop there? No. Kill. Does he stop there? No. Destroy. He is vicious and he is ruthless. He fully believes his own lies, that he is the one who should be worshiped of God, that he's the good one, he's the true one, and that um, Jesus is the enemy. Jesus is the liar. It's amazing how twisted his mind. And yes, I'm going to get beat up by the devil this week. He does not like people to say what I just said. So I wouldn't say amen and be in agreement because you're, you're going to get beat up too. When I first started pastoring, I was in Ephesians and uh, Ray Bentley, who was really my mentor, he said to me, teach Ephesians 6 in one week. And I'm like, why, why is that? He said, because you can only knock the chip off the devil so many times in a row without him focusing and just beating you to death. Well, I, I didn't do what he said, and I suffered the consequences. And I'm telling you now, um, Satan does not like us talking about him. And, you know, you may not be here every Sunday, but his demons are. And uh, they're reporting back. And so buckle up and hold on because uh, we are his target. I think we're his target either way because we're teaching the truth. We're teaching the difficult truths. We're, we've been through some stuff in Ephesians that is hard, difficult stuff. And you guys have hung right in there. But on top of that, we are having great success on Thursday afternoons witnessing. And we did it this yesterday. And just, again, it's just a beautiful thing, giving divine appointments. Thursday, we went out there, and I, I had nothing, man. I was exhausted. I'd been going for a month straight. And I just got with the guys, and our brother Chuck over here, he goes with us every Thursday. And we just prayed and said, God, here we are. And there really wasn't too many people out there because of the oil spill and just being a Thursday and school in session. So we just said, said, hey, Eric, you've been talking about walking down the street. Let's go. And so we went into one shop and talked to this Syrian guy who was from Syria. He was a Christian, not a Muslim. But and then we went to a, a vintage store over there. You guys know where I'm talking about in Sill Beach. And there's a young guy there. And his heart was very hard, was raised nothing, just knew he didn't like God because he's probably been indoctrinated for years in school. And uh, we began to share, and, and his heart began to see the truth. And over in about an hour, he just fervently received the Lord. It was powerful. It was passionate. Yesterday, we, we had some just a great time. Two 14-year-old boys, the one was sort of a, a smart aleck with his friend, and his mom, not a believer, just sort of aloof and just started sharing with him and said, are you a sinner? No, nah, I don't think I am. And I went through the, uh, the Ten Commandments and started there like Ray Comfort does, if you've seen that. And, and he got sober. He's like, yeah, I am a sinner. 
and um, shared the gospel. I said, this is why we have the good news. This is why Jesus died. And, and I said, would you like to receive Christ? Would you like to pray right now? And all these people in front of your mom and your friend here, you know, ask the friend, would you like to receive the Lord too? He's like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I don't care. Just, I need Jesus. And just these two 14-year-old boys radically received the Lord. And then we encouraged a lot of Christians that were very discouraged who had quit going to church because people aren't following the Lord. And one young man said, yeah, I have several friends that go to church, but they live like the devil. And I said, would those friends tell me that you live like the devil, even though you're going to church? He had sort of given up on going to church for the last several months, him and his wife. And and he goes, yeah, that's what they would say about me too. And then I explained to him about sanctification. I said, justification you got, you're born again, but you're not walking in sanctification. God's going to do it, but it's your responsibility to recognize that and be a part of that every day. So it was a great time, but I, I, I know that the devil's not going to take those kind of things lying down. So either way, he's going to beat up on us, but we are going to resist him, Right? Stand steadfast in the faith. Well, in verse 10 here, we look at the first part. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The spiritual war. Do we understand this? The conflict is between the kingdoms of light and darkness. There is a real heaven. There's a real hell. There are real angels. There are real demons. There is a real God and there is a real devil and there is a real war always going on in the heavenlies. Do you remember that story in Daniel 10 where Daniel was fasting and praying and he said, God, I'm asking that you take us back to Jerusalem and, and don't do as you said, counting when everybody was gone on the third deportation, which would add uh, another 25, 30 years to them staying in Babylon. I'm asking you to count it, even though it was only a few people that were kicked out of Israel in the first deportation. Would you have mercy on us and count the 70 years from that deportation? And as he began to pray and seek the Lord and, and the answer didn't come, the answer didn't come, the answer didn't come. Weeks went by and then Gabriel shows up and says, the answer is Yes. <laughs> I have been trying for three weeks to get to you. But these demonic princes of Persia, because the new kingdom of the Medes and the Persians was coming in, it was first a demonic kingdom in the heavenlies, then it would become a demonic kingdom on earth. But before that kingdom could come, I'm there battling with it. I can't get away. And then Michael came. And he took on that battle, and I have to run down here to tell you. I'm sorry I'm three weeks late, but here's the answer to your prayer. i got to go back and fight some more. Wow. We had no idea that these angels are not just sitting around in heaven and picking the lint out of their belly buttons. They're at war, just as we on earth are at war. So as we look at this chapter 6 on spiritual warfare, we first, as we see here in verse 10, need to recognize the source of our strength. Secondly, we need to recognize who the enemy, the real enemy is. And then the third thing, we need to understand what it means to put on the whole armor of God. So here in verse 10, we realize our strength is from the Lord 
It's His might. It's His power. Our power will never be sufficient. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. You'll bear fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. You know, I have met people that are Christians that are offended at that. Going, I did a lot of stuff before I was a non-Christian, or before I became a Christian. I can do a lot of stuff. I don't have to sit around and say, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of earth stuff you can do for earth existence. But nobody can bear spiritual fruit apart from Christ. And guys, we are not in an existence on earth in our battle. We are in a spiritual battle. So your physical sword would just go right through the demonic realm. You would try to stab a demon and you would have no effect. You've got to have spiritual swords to fight in the spiritual battle, right? And apart from him, we have no ability to bear fruit and we have no ability to fight against the demonic host. Only in God's sufficiency. How have we been made sufficient for this? Through his death and resurrection by living and completing the law and then destroying the law. You see, Satan's strength is condemning us. Satan's strength is using God's own word against us. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? It was a sword fight with scripture, wasn't it? Satan would quote a scripture and then give a horrible interpretation. And Jesus says, that's a horrible interpretation because there's another verse that says this. You're you're a liar, Satan. (laughs) But he had to know the scripture. But our sufficiency is in the work of Christ. Remember Colossians 2, verse 14 to 15? It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he was taking it out of the way, the law, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Do you understand the cross? We're like, yeah, the cross, my sins were punished for in Christ's death and resurrection, that I can be certain now that he's conquered sin and death. And he did more than that. The law is no longer for us. We start out the moment we say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. We start out above the law. You see, the law is those who are under it. We confess we're sinners. I don't need the, all the law was to do is show us we're sinners. Are you a sinner? Yes, and you don't need the law. But who conquered your sin? Christ has conquered our sin, taken it out of the way, taken the law and all the ordinance written against us out of the way. And you don't know it until we get to Colossians, but Satan was destroyed that day with being able to have power over all the new believers. His face was taken and just like a dog's nose is rubbed in its own poop because he pooped in the carpet. Satan and all these demons' face were just crammed right into the poop. And they were humiliated. And the victory was in their face that they have lost already because Jesus has already done the work. I love this translation out of the New Living Translation of Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15. 
He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross, the Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed evil rulers and evil authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. So now we daily walk in victory through the power of his might. Do we get it? We are standing in the blood of the cross. We are standing in the shadow of the cross. Whatever Satan throws at us, the cross is stopping all of the fiery darts. The cross is defeating Satan. We are already victories, victors because Christ has done the work. This is why we say we're saved past tense. We're really not saved until we're in our new bodies in heaven with the Lord. That's why when we look in the mirror going, am I saved? Ooh, I don't look very saved. We meditate on our last week and we're going, that wasn't very Christian. And ooh, that was a dumb thing. And boy, that was sinful. Yeah, it, we're, but we say past tense we're saved because the Bible tells us the cross was a finished work. And therefore, we are a finished work. And so Satan is trying to beat somebody that's already won. I mean, imagine if you're in a sprint, you're in the Olympics and you're running the race and you are, you're 10 lengths in front of everybody else and you cross the finish line. You won, right? But then all these others come through and say, no, 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 you didn't when I won. <laughs> this is what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to claim victory, but it's a farce because Christ has already claimed victory for us. It's so important in spiritual battle that we understand we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from already being victorious. Romans 8.37 says, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him that loved us. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had prayed earlier in Ephesians 1.19 that you may know all the believers of Ephesus until us today would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. How? Towards us. Who? To everyone who believes. According to the working of his mighty power the exceeding greatness of his power, his mighty power. He's emphatic here. We are not weak. We are not in a battle that we're going to lose. Yes, Satan is greater than us. Satan is more powerful than us, but he's not fighting us, is he? Because God's spirit lives in us and greater is he that is in you then who? Then he who is in the world, referring to Satan. In verse 11, so put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is wild. He is, he's insane. He is completely certifiable 
insane. He's not a normal person. He doesn't think normally. He has lost his mind. Just like anybody who claims to be God, right? Anybody that claims to be Napoleon or anybody that claims to be George Washington and they really, really believe it. What do we call that? Insanity. Satan really believes he's the righteous one. He really believes that he is God. He really believes and he's insulted by the fact that everybody on the earth doesn't see the obvious and bow down and worship him. Do, do you, how insane do you got to be to be before the Son of God when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and think you have a chance by saying to Jesus, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the world. Like Jesus is going, oh man, oh, this is such a tough temptation here. Man, oh. How, how insane you gotta be, do you understand? This is why often when we are in spiritual warfare, we feel like we're in a, a sane asylum. Because that is Satan. Wherever he goes is insanity. And that's why we feel like we're insanity. That's what's happening in our country right now. It is insane. We are not seeing sanity. We're all standing around going, if you don't agree with me, this is insane. I'm insane. And we're amazed that about half of the world is Insane. Because they're believing the lies of the enemy, which are insane. There's no basis in logic. There's no basis in truth. But again, we can know the truth and we can be set free and we can speak the truth and set others free. But our battle is spiritual, isn't it? So we need to understand we're fighting the devil. It tells us 35 times in the Bible it calls him devil, which is the word slanderer, just a liar. Remember what he said about Jesus? Jesus is a drunk. Jesus is a glutton. Later, he convinced people that Jesus himself was possessed with the head demon of the Galilee area. Do you, do you see how he works here? Jesus never was close to being drunk. Jesus never sinned in any way was he a glutton. And he did not do his power by demonic strength. He did it by the Holy Spirit. But yet Satan can convince the craziest things about those who are the purest and the most holy. Satan is also called an adversary 52 times in the Bible. He's also identified as the great dragon, the roaring lion, the vile one, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren, the spirit working in the sons of disobedience. And we do see that demonic spirit working today in these last days like never before. Satan is scheming. The Greek word here is the Greek word Methodia, which carries the idea of craftiness, cunning, deception. You might remember in Job chapter 1, 
When Satan appears before the Lord at, at a board meeting, we're shocked at this. The Lord says to Satan, have you considered? That word consider, Job, that word consider is a military word. Chuck, in his commentary, he says, to consider is the word that I'm interested in, though because it is actual military term, it is a term used for a general who is studying a city before he attacks it in order that he might develop his strategy whereby he can destroy the city. He asked him, are you been studying the weaknesses of Job? Have you been studying Job to come up with a strategy that will eventually destroy him? And he had one, didn't he? So he's looking to find weaknesses in our lives. He's looking and eyeing where he can get a foothold in us. In 1 John 2.16, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. We need to be aware that Satan is looking for spots in our life. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices that he should take an advantage of us. We shouldn't be ignorant. Understand, man is made in God's image. So we have the ability to create and be creative. Satan is simply an angel, a fallen one now. He does not have many of the attributes that we have. So Satan isn't creative. He doesn't have the ability to create. He has one bag of tricks, and he repeats them and repeats them and repeats them. He is a good strategist because he's been around since the beginning with Adam and Eve. So he has seen literally 10,000 people that probably look like you, actually, but have a similar personality, and he has studied their entire life, and he knows what they're going to be like in their teenage years and 20s and 30s. He knows because your personality what kind of sins you're going to struggle with, what kind of anger issues you can have. And believe me, he, he's not uh, ignorant of, of the psychology of throwing very strategic and very powerful blows against us. And we have to go to the word of God. So he's looking for areas in your life of pride. He's looking for areas where there's a character issue or a lack of integrity. He's looking for sexual impurity. He's looking for unforgiveness. Remember, Paul pointed this out in Ephesians 4. He says, we all get angry. Just don't let that anger turn into sin. And definitely don't let the sun go down on that anger and give the devil a foothold. Interesting, isn't it? He's creating people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, on the freeway, in a store that'll push your button. Maybe even use family members. No, no, that would never happen. To push your buttons, to cause you to be angry and not be able to let go of that anger. So he can weasel in there and you're trying to shut the door and he's got his foot in that door. Bang, bang, bang. I thought I shut that door. Uh -uh, no, he's creeping right in at nighttime and he's going to 
And he's going to continue to strengthen that heart of unforgiveness until it turns into bitterness. And he can, through that bitterness, destroy many. We're not ignorant of, of what he's up to. And we need to wake up. Because the devil is a wild devil. Evil. Vicious. Think about Mark chapter 9. You guys know that story where this child was demon-possessed. Probably the mother was a fortune teller reader or into some kind of demonic world and the demon tricked her and possessed the child. That seems to have happened a couple of times. And this child was just out of its mind trying to throw itself into the fire and throw itself into the water and drown this little child. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They brought him to the disciples Why Jesus and Peter and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration and they kept trying to cast the demon out and they couldn't and there was this horrible demonic confusion and Jesus comes in and casts the demon out. But just think how vicious a demon is. Or you might remember Mark 5 where this man, is actually two men when we read all the Gospels on Gesineret, he has 2,000 demons in him. Not even chains can hold him. And for a long time, he's been living in the tombs, running around naked and, and scaring people and attacking people on the main highway that went through Galilee there. Yeah, he, he doesn't play fair. He, you know, I, I'll just say it like this right now because I, I believe 100% of it to be true. Some of you guys politically are angry at politicians on the other side of the aisle and you hate them. And I'm telling you that some of those people are demon-possessed. They could not do what they're doing. I don't think humans can even think such crazy thoughts and such plotting and planning. It's orchestrated in a spiritual way. They're having success that doesn't even make sense that they would have such success. And some of those people are demon-possessed. And I, I don't think we, it's really that difficult of a thing to imagine when we hear the evil, the division, the demonic things they're saying to try to cause our nation to be stolen, killing to happen and to be destroyed. Our country has been a light of the gospel. Every relief organization in the world came out of America. We have been an aid, a stability to the powder keg of this world almost from our, the beginning of our existence. And Satan, believe me, is wanting to take and destroy this light. America, this light of Christianity, wants to not just steal it, not just kill it. He wants to utterly blow it up and, and make it a very dark place. And I think we know that, don't we? So before we, we move on, let's make it clear. There, there are some false notions about the devil. 
One is sometimes people think, oh, the God and the devil, they're, they're co-equals. They're equally strong. And just one is the yin and the other the yang. Or one's the dark, one's the light. Satan is just a, a dumb angel. Okay? He's only big in his own mind. He's nowhere near God in any way, shape, or form. Secondly, Satan is not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere. Matter of fact, he's got limited resources. He himself can't be everywhere at once, and he doesn't have an infinite amount of demons. He's got several thousand demons, and he's got to strategically locate them. He's always working what demons to have in what country and what church and what situation. What, uh, he's got to constantly be moving them around. He doesn't have infinite amount of demons. I think one of Satan's best lies is that he has us thinking he's more powerful than he really is. Matter of fact, when we get to Isaiah 14, when we, you know, this is that passage where Satan says, I'm high and lifted up and so forth. It says here, they're describing the kingdom of Babylon, but they're also at the same time describing Satan. The pomp is brought down to the grave. The noise of their vials. This is Satan and his demonic hosts. It's also true of the country of Babylon at the time. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Isaiah 14, 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Verse 16 of Isaiah 14, They that see thee shall narrowly stare at, they're going to stare, look upon thee, consider thee, come to understand, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? When we see him brought down, we're going to look at him as this nothing little worm. And we're going to see him covered in worms and and in this hell, in this pit. And we're going to look at this nothing shriveled up. And we're going to go, what? How did did he ever do anything that he did? He's nothing. Isaiah 14, 19, but thou hast cast out of thy grave like the abominable branch and as the remnant of those who are slain, thus throw with the, through with the sword. Thou go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trotted underfoot. You're gonna look like a carcass that's been trampled by a million soldiers. 2 Corinthians 10, four and five, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but What? mighty in God. We're, we're, not, we're not fighting Satan and it's like, yeah, we're going to lose no matter what. He's too powerful. Untrue. For we're, we can pull down his demonic strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have ability to win. I didn't put the verse in here, but you know the second Chronicles 7.14, if my people will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways. I understand our wicked ways aren't as wicked as the world, but they're still not holy to make us a sanctified vessel set apart for God's use. If we'll pray, God will hear from heaven and heal our land. It really comes back to Christians understanding we have mighty weapons. And the mightiest of all is prayer, isn't it? And through prayer, we are pulling down these demonic 
strongholds. I think of that small prayer meeting that was praying for Peter's release in the book of Acts. You remember that? And an angel came and kicked him on the side and said, get up, we're leaving. And he just walked right through the walls and he came to uh, the house there where the prayer meeting is knocking on the door going, hey, it's Peter, let me in. Hey, some crazy guy's outside saying he's Peter. And uh, they finally opened the door and he's like, I'm out. And they're like, God answered our prayer. And uh, he wasn't killed and beheaded as the apostle James was. Prayer works, huh? In Philippians 1.28, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Boy, that's a good word from God, isn't it? This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, that you are going to be saved even by God himself. What is a sign to them? What's going to cause them to shrink back when they see our confidence? And they were in no way afraid or intimidated by the enemy. Well, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Right here is why you should read the Bible and pray and seek God every day. So you're spiritually minded. I, I honestly think that 99% of Christians right now are fighting against flesh and blood, and we're wondering why we're not moving the ball forward in this game. Because we thought we're fighting against a human being. I mean, if Nancy Pelosi died tomorrow, do you think there's not another Nancy Pelosi behind her that's twice the son of hell that she is? I'm saying that... It, it, it's not going to help us fighting against man and hating man. I'm going to tell you something else. All of Nancy Pelosi's sins, Christ died for all of them on the cross. And he loves her. And the Holy Spirit's convicting her of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And if we prayed for the demonic strongholds around her to be broken down and for her to have ears to hear. Remember the greatest supporter of Jesus was Mary Magdalene. Do you remember that? And she had seven demons in her. And she was the head of the Democratic Party in Jerusalem. <laughs> I'm only kidding. So... God can do miracles, right? And so we need to get our mind and understand that we are not fighting against any human flesh. If we're doing that, it's stupid. It's like saying I'm going to mow the grass and I walk out and I pull up one blade of grass and say I mowed the yard. It's ridiculous. It's not about taking out, we need to vote, but it's not where the, the end is, the end result's gonna come from. It's gonna come from a spiritual awakening. Let me tell you what I find when I go down and witness in Seal Beach. I would say at least half of these people have no knowledge of God. I, yesterday, I, I talked to this guy, his name was Truman. The Truman Show. 
he had such a sweet heart. And he's just like, yeah, I, I want to know. And, and his girlfriend was there. She was just hating the fact that he was talking to us. She wouldn't even come over. She was just fuming. And this guy has such a sweet heart. And, and I'm just like, well, you know, do you, do you, what do you know about Jesus? Nothing. Well, do you, do you know what Jesus said on the cross? What's a cross? Do you don't, you've never heard that Jesus died on the cross. I haven't heard anybody died on a cross. I'm telling you what, 50% of the people we talk to are like that. It's not a post-Christian country. We are 50% non-Christian, so now we get it. Because they, they're open. They're open to religion because they have none. They're open to believing something because they, they don't have the knowledge of Christ at all. And understand, that's the people next to you in the grocery store, the people in your neighborhood. The harvest is white. It's almost to our advantage they're this way, guys, because we're not going to sit around and talk about how offended they were. And, you know, a guy, young guy yesterday gave up on church because he was in a Pentecostal church and turned into a shepherding doctrine church. And he was abused and his family was abused. And, and it's just like, yeah, I just, I, I, you just say the word church, I almost barf. I just... You know, I, it's almost good that we don't have to fight everybody on that. And to say, I know, I, I know there's a lot of churches like that. But there's a lot of churches not like that. So again, guys, we need to understand that our gain is going to come in the spiritual realm. Our strength is there. Our success is there. And when we pull down the demonic strongholds through prayer and through truth, and through walking and, and seeking God and living the life, being sanctified, set apart for his use daily, that's when we'll start seeing things turn in the right direction. In Ephesians 6.13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. So I want you to understand that we're not going on the offense, taking out the devil. When demonic attack comes, we are just in the defense. Every day we live as a Christian, we are tearing down strongholds. But when the wiles of the devil come against us, we're not trying to have victory. We're just trying to survive. I had a guy in our church who was a Navy SEAL and he retired and he immediately went for an independent contractor, was right back in Iraq doing exactly what he did, but for a private company. And he was in a Humvee with a group of other guys and they hit a landmine. He was thrown a football filled distance, a hundred yards away. Everybody else was just blown into little pieces. 100 yards away, completely naked. All his armor, his everything was completely blown off. He was completely disoriented. And uh, he's like, you, you can't imagine what that is. I'm like, that's the way I've always imagined when Satan attacks me. I feel that way. Like I'm just exploded. <laughs> I've been thrown 100 yards. I'm completely beat up and bruised and naked and disoriented. That's the way it is. That evil day, we're, we're just trying to walk away and live through it. 
We're trying to walk through it and have our marriage intact, have our kids intact, have our finances and our health and our life intact. In Jude 1.9, it says that not even Michael the archangel, the greatest angel now in heaven, he wouldn't even talk to the devil personally in the, in the I am telling you, Satan, he did not. He talked in the third person and said to him, the Lord rebuke you. <laughs> he understood what Satan could do. And so having done all, after you did everything, you just stand. That's it. You survive it. In verse 14, standing therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Notice this here is in the past tense. You've already, as those, they, those days they had robes and they would tie them around their thighs and get them all ready to run. And this is saying you already have this. It's not some new, super deep revelation of truth. It's the truth that you know. The baby, little, simple truths you learned in kindergarten, you learned as a junior higher, and just the simple truths of God's word is all that you need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's your belt, the thing that's very familiar, that old belt that you have always had, and you're tying it off and girding yourself with that. That's the truth that will make you stand now. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He says in John 17, 17, God's truth will protect us. And then in verse 14, the second part of that, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate went all the way up to the neck and all the way down to the knees. It's the thing that's protecting the vital organs. What is it? The breastplate of righteousness. So underneath, you're girded with the belt of truth. And what's the main thing covering all the vital organs? The righteousness of Christ that was imputed to us by Jesus' death and resurrection. Satan, this accuser of the brethren, wants to come and convince you that you're not saved that your name isn't written in the book of heaven, and that this last six months of struggle, God's thrown you away and forgot about you. If the rapture were to happen right now, you wouldn't go because you're, you're just such a fleshly, sinful, struggling, horrible guy. Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And son, I need you to become sin. The snake, remember there in John, 3, 6, 6, or in John chapter 3? Jesus says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. Remember the snakes were biting them? And they were dying. And he said, get a pole and put a bronze serpent, bronze of the judgment, and if they look upon the bronze, this poison won't kill them. Sort of a strange story going, the snake, what? what? Put an eagle on there. <laughs> Put a lion on there. But a snake, that, that seems demonic. Yes, that's a picture of all our sins coming on Christ. 
And if we look to the cross where Jesus is carrying all our sins, he became evil, our evil. He became lie, our lies, our lust, our murders, our evil all came upon him. This lamb of God bore all our sins. And now all we got to do is look. That's it. And you're saved. Look, anybody who looks to the cross and receives Jesus, he gives them the right to become children of God. Boy, this is why we need to stand. I think this is why a lot of Christians are getting weak and weary because they're like, I lost my salvation. I need to get it again. And they're coming back to church. I need to get saved again. I think I lost it. And, you know, and, and it's like, no, you can't lose it. It's ridiculous. We need to have our faith in the finished work of Christ. That's how we protect our whole vital organs. You guys know John 3, 16, whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In John 10, verse 28 and 29, I give them eternal life. How do we get eternal life? I was explaining to a guy yesterday. He's like, okay, I believe on Jesus, but that, that doesn't get me to heaven. What's, you know, what's the fine print? What do I need to do after that? I got to like go to church perfectly. Uh, you know, I've got to pray. I've got to do that. I got to, what, you know, where, where's the small print? I know I've got to, you know, cut my hair and get a necklace and say, hi, hi, Christian, Christian, Rama, Rama. You know, what's the difficulty? And, and I had the hardest time explaining to him. It's a gift. Have you ever gotten a gift before? A birthday gift? What did you have to do to get it? Jesus only gives eternal life as a gift. Only as a gift. There is no way, there's nobody in heaven that wasn't gifted getting there. Right? Everybody there has got a ticket as a gift. Nobody can buy it. Hey, can I buy your ticket? That thing's probably worth $1,000. I'll give you two. No, it wouldn't do you any good. Here, take the ticket. It won't do you any good. It only can be given and received as a gift. I give eternal life. And because I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. This is our righteousness. This is that shield, our breastplate that protects us. In John 17, 20, 24, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They all may be one in us and the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, they may be perfected, perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow, as the Father loves Jesus, so God loves us. Father, I desire they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. I don't just pray for these here at our earth right now, but I pray through everyone in the future who believes through their word, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, right? 
Paul and Peter and everybody has that glory that the world will know that the, you love them just as much as you love me. That they are in us as much as I am in you and you are in me. I, I don't know what else to, to say than what a breastplate we have. Can we have a stronger breastplate than that? That's as good as it gets, isn't it? And so that's where we end today. Lord, we come before you now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the glories that we have in you. But Lord, I know many right now are, are being duped by the devil. They're angry at politicians. They're angry at the other party. They're angry at our governor. They're angry and bitter. And Satan is getting a stronghold in their life because they're fighting against flesh and blood. And they're not winning. They're not getting ahead in this battle. We know that we as believers are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not stupid about his tricks and his trickery and his scheming and his planning. But Lord, my fear is that the Christians in America are so weak that they won't realize we're really fighting against principalities and powers and kingdoms of darkness and all kinds of demons and different strategic scheming situations. And many of these evil politicians are no doubt possessed by demons themselves and being empowered, enriched, strengthened in body and in mind and in scheming and in words and in situations. We know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air and boy, he owns the airwaves. Very few waves are getting through that aren't just demonic doctrines, lies and hypocrisies. And Lord, it is greatly discouraging for us who are older, who have lived in a country that once looked so different. But Lord, we thank you for the hope you've given us that we have a great power, an exceedingly great, mighty power through you. And we just come now and ask that we would all be a praying people. As you cleanse the temple, you said, my house will be a house of prayer above all things. That we would become, as Calvary Chapel Los Alamitos, a people of prayer. And we thank you that all it takes are two or three. <laughs> because we, you, you, you saw it ahead of time that prayer meeting wouldn't be a huge number. But two or three, whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen, amen.